There are two big views, and the two big views are this uh, about the judgment. One is that there are a series of several judgments. That is one view. And the second view is that there is only one judgment, the great white throne judgment, which will happen or is described in Revelation chapter 20. I hold to the view that there's more than one judgment personally. I hold to that view. You will find others, capable scholars, who uh, hold to the view that the great white throne judgment is the only judgment there is. John MacArthur summarizes multiple judgments in Scripture. He talks of the judgment of Israel, mentioned in Ezekiel 20, the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25, The judgment of Satan and the demons in Jude 6. The judgment of the unbelievers at the great white throne. And the judgment of believers. All of those judgments, incidentally, will take place. The question uh, that scholars debate, and it's not that huge, is will they all take place at the great white throne judgment or will they take place at different times? This morning, we're only going to look at the judgment of believers Later down the road, we'll look at the judgment, the great white throne judgment. Why is this important? It is important because we will all face the judgment. Scripture says that. And if there's some place we're all going, we probably should know where it is and what it is and what it's going to entail. I shared this, I think, recently, but in case I didn't, a few weeks ago I was called out late on a Saturday evening, to go visit a man who was on his deathbed. The man had given his life to Christ many uh, years prior, but he had fear. He really believed that he was going to die that night, and he was afraid. And so his family called. I really didn't know the gentleman, but I knew his family. And they called and said, would you come? And I went, and I sat by the bedside of this man. He, gra- he, he gripped my hand as we talked. He asked me questions uh, about the end of his life and the end of life in particular. And he had this belief that had somehow lodged in his mind. And here it was. The belief was this, that even though he had given his life to Christ, there was still a time when he would stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he could be judged at that time to be either saved or lost. And so his salvation that had been secured for him uh, earlier in his life was still somehow incomplete Enough to think that down the road he would stand before the judgment seat of God and it would only be at that point that he would learn whether or not he was saved or lost. As a matter of fact, he said someone had taught him that. Someone had told him that. Perhaps that person was a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, They teach that at the end of every person's life there will be what they call a, quote, investigative judgment Let me quote from their own theology. This investigative, I quote now, this investigative judgment determines who of the myriads sleeping in the dust of the earth are worthy of a part in the resurrection and who of its living multitudes are worthy of translation. Well, I have news for every Seventh-day Adventist. The answer to that question is no one. None of us are worthy of this. None of us are worthy of this. The saintliest person in the room this morning isn't worthy. 
Is it worthy of the resurrection? The saintliest person in the room this morning isn't worthy of the rapture. We all believe that, amen? We're not worthy. And so, but there is this fear that it grips uh, Seventh-day Adventists. They live in constant fear. Uh, Will I be found worthy during this investigative judgment that will occur at the end of time? I would say that many Catholics live in this same fear because the idea is I will do works, and if I do works, as I do these works, there will be this time. There's a positive and a negative side. On the positive side, there's purgatory, which means something could happen during purgatory to a kind of uh, maybe I could earn my way there. And then there's a negative side which says there's some kind of scale somewhere. And if I could just do more good than I do bad, somehow God will look at those scales at the end of my life. And when he sees those, if the bad outweighs the good, then I will be in. But what I want to say to you is that uh, while it it perhaps is easy for us to look at the theology of the Seventh-day Adventists to notice differences and to look at the theology of Catholicism, probably 10 or 15% of you used to be Catholic, but to look at the uh, theology of Catholicism and to note the differences, I would dare say that among us in this room today and in the next service will be folks who are so confused about what is going to happen at the judgment. And that without realizing it, you have these errant uh, ideas that have kind of worked their way into your theology. And you have in mind, you picture it even, what that day is going to be like. Paul uh, talks to the Corinthians about that day. I want to say something to you. The Corinthian church was no model church. This whole letter is written to a church that is blowing it. So, so if we must, we must understand in the, in the rules of context that we've got to look at immediate context when we're studying Scripture. And the immediate context of this writing says that the Corinthians were blowing it. Absolutely blowing it. But we learn three overarching principles that will guide the judgment day of God. Number one, all our worthwhile works are a result of the grace of God. What does Paul say here? According to the grace of God given to me. He begins the section that ultimately culminates in the judgment by saying that according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Paul does not take credit for his own accomplishments and what would those be? Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, uh, Philippians, Colossians, the pastoral epistles. Uh, Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Paul traveled all over uh, the known world at that time uh, as a missionary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, none of this is my doing. According to the grace of God given to me, I laid the foundation, speaking specifically of the church in Corinth. 
I founded the church, is what he's saying. I laid this foundation. Now, Paul was a, a, a persecutor of Christians before he came to Christ. He was trekking along the road, and as he was trekking along the road to Damascus uh, to hand out the execution papers for Christians, Jesus Christ himself stopped him dead in his tracks, and a great light shone, and Jesus spoke out of that light, and it says, Saul, his name was Saul then, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that encounter with Jesus changed Paul's life. And he went from persecuting Christians to ultimately, many believe, dying as Jesus died impaled on a cross. He ultimately died a martyr's death. And so Paul became this supporter, this supporter of the very thing he was fighting against. How is it that you go from there to there if not for the grace of God? You see, if you and I were to stand up and on this large screen behind us, we were to play uh, everything you've ever done, uh, we'd all turn around like those Pharisees when they dragged that woman in who had been caught in adultery and they wanted Jesus to come down on her. Uh, We would all turn around after the riding in the sand. We would just call it uh, the, the, the video on the screen and we would do what? Walk out of here with our heads hung low. Why? Nothing on the screen, actually everything on the screen discredits us, doesn't it? Everything does. But do you know what we've gotten good at? We've gotten good at coming to church and looking good, haven't we? How are you doing today? Great. And your wife looks at you because you all yelled at each other in the car on the way in. Really? We're doing great. Yeah, that's what we do at church. It's it's church. It's Sunday. And so we walk in, and and our worlds are falling apart, and everything's crazy. And we look at one another, and we tell bold-faced lies, and then we sing songs to God, and we give some money, and we leave. Right? That's what churches become reduced to. Let's go here. Let's put on our best. Let's look our best. Let's talk our best. You know, here's the speech. Roll it out. This is what you got to do. I grew up doing that. I grew up doing that. And so my dad would, mom would take us to church, and, and dad was the preacher, and, and we were very much in the glass house. We lived in it. It was right across the street called the Parsonage, all right? Uh, we just never felt we could even hang anything on the wall because, you know, how about the nail that the person wants to make who follows us? It was just a crazy way to live. But I remember, I remember as little kids one time, daddy, mom taking us to a church. It was a little white country church. We still lived in Tennessee at the time, which means that all of us were third grade and under. And the place was packed out, and guess where they put the children? Could you imagine this today? They sat us on the altar. All the adults sat there, and all the children sat on the altar. Could you imagine some of your kids sitting up here through the whole service? I can't imagine your kids. I've watched them. And so, so uh, they were sitting. we were sitting right here on the altar, and my brother and my sister and I got into it. I do not know what we did, but it wasn't good. And here's how I knew it wasn't good, because Dad gave me the look. 
right? You've gotten the look before, and the look communicates volumes. And Dad gave me the look because up there, I'm representing Ross Lewis, who's the preacher, right? And so I remember, and I remember on the way home begging God. You know, it was my first time on the altar as a little kid, and on the altar all the way home in that little brown Nova in the back seat, pretending to be asleep, hoping Dad had forgotten everything that had happened, right? Hoping he had as I'm as I had acted up that night. Well, we, we've gotten used to that. We've gotten used to coming to church, putting on our best, just saying our best, just looking like everything is good when our world is falling apart. And if your world is falling apart, this ought to be the place where you can come and say, my world is falling apart. If your world is falling apart, it ought to be the place where you can come and say that. But we've gotten super, super good at that. And I have no idea how I got all the way there, so I'm going to try to get back. All right. Mm, Wow. So Paul says it's the grace of God. It's totally the grace of God, but he also acknowledges that he is a master builder. Isn't it interesting? Uh, Paul does not revel in false humility. Paul does not revel in false humility. He says, by the grace of God given to me, I laid a foundation. And then in the very next sentence, he says, I'm the master builder. He's not being braggadocious here. He's not trying to uh, point attention to himself. He's simply saying, I'm the master builder. What what does the phrase mean? It means uh, the guy who is both the architect and the, uh, the lead contractor. All right, so he's the general contractor and he's the architect. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, I helped design and build this church in Corinth. How is it that Paul can say this is by the grace of God and he seems to say something that trumps everybody else that says, all right, I'm the one who started this thing. Please hear me. Your role does not determine your rank. In Christianity, your role does not determine your rank. It may determine it at the place where you work. You may have people who, quote, pull rank. They're bosses, and they do things because they're bosses. But in Christianity, your role does not determine your rank. Let me explain. My job at Grace is to preach, it is to pray, and it is to lead. Those are the three big things that I do here at this church. By default, that puts me in front of people. Just by default. If you're leading and you're not out in front, guess what? You're not leading. Leadership, by default, is being in front. If you're leading and nobody is following, guess what? You're not leading. Leadership is influence. So by default, it puts me out front. Since I preach most Sundays here, by default, I am up here on this stage. But my role does not determine my rank. I'm no more important than you. This church would go on just fine without me. It would. God would bless. He would move. People would come to faith in Christ. The work of the ministry would go on. And guess what? Newsflash, it would go on just fine without you. Jerry, <gasps> you just burst my bubble. You mean God doesn't have to have me? No. God doesn't have to have anybody, right? It's all because of his grace that he uses us by the grace of God given to me, Paul says. But he says, I I'm the master builder. I laid the foundation here in Corinth. I started this thing, is what he's saying. The uh, the problem Paul is addressing is found in chapter 1, verses 11 through 15. He says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. I hate Chloe's people. Tattletales, all right? 
It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. All right, so in Corinth, guess what? They've got some people, and some people like to hear Paul preach, and others like to hear Apollos preach, and others like what Cephas has to say about this. And Some people say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm following Christ. What does Paul say? Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in Paul, my name. Paul's saying, don't put me there. And uh, as that's the problem he's addressing. Apollos and Cephas uh, built on Paul's foundation of his work there. He says, let each one take care, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Why should we be careful how we build on the work of God? Because the foundation is so precious. That's why. The very part that no one can see is so precious, and his name is Jesus Christ. In 2.2 of this same book, Paul says, I purpose to know no one among you except Jesus Christ and him what? Crucified. That's our message. That is absolutely our message. And so the foundation determines the building. The foundation determines the building. And Paul says, I've laid a foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so be careful how you build on that foundation. That's a good word for all of us. The foundation of Grace Community Church is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, resurrected, glorified, and returning. It is nothing else. Our foundation is not a certain philosophy. Our foundation is, uh, is not uh, uh, buildings. Our foundation is not personalities. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I'd better be careful how I build on that foundation. It means you'd better be careful how you build on that foundation. Why? Because Jesus is worthy of great work. He's worthy of hard work. When you build, every one of us, and the word each occurs, I think, eight times in this passage. Lest you think, oh, Jerry, this is just for you and the staff. No, this is for every believer. When you build on the foundation of this local church and you're running your business, people identify you with Grace Community Church. You are the reputation of this church. There is no doubt about that. It isn't me. It's you. If you're horrible to get along with at work, don't invite people from your place to come here to church. Why? They're going to go, why would I sit with somebody who yells at me all week? Why would I do that? If you're a horrible teacher and you're bitter and you should have retired 18 years ago, please don't tell your students that they ought to, your parents, that they ought to join you at church. Why? They're going to expect me to chew them out like you chew their kids out. 
Does that make sense? We have to be so careful how we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ because ultimately, ultimately, everything we say and everything we do is a reflection of Christ, which is a reflection of this church. If our foundation is Christ. That's just the way it works. That's what Paul is saying. All of it, due to the grace of God, every good thing we do is a result of the grace of God. Number two, uh, the overarching principle, God will reward our worthwhile works. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, uh, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. Capital D in my translation, maybe in yours, will disclose it. Talking about the day of judgment right there. Now we get to judgment day. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. All right, so Paul is saying that the materials you use to build the building matter. I love what one commentary said. He said, Paul lists these materials like this, decreasing values and increasing flammability. All right? He lists them in order of decreasing value and increasing flammability. Paul has three gifts that the fire can stand, or three, uh, three materials that can stand the fire and three materials that will burn. What does this mean? Well, fire will purify gold, silver, and precious stones. Fire will simply reveal them to be what they are, burn away their dross. Fire's good for that stuff. But if you throw some hay, you throw some wood in the fire, some straw, guess what? It's going just like that, isn't it? It will burn up. I did this little experiment almost to the demise of my house. I know. One of these days I'll grow up. Wendy's raising two kids right now. And so, almost to the demise of my house, but we always have live Christmas trees, and I've heard they burn up fast. I wanted to find out, okay? So I take the tree, and I take it out of the house, and I said, honey, watch this, right? Which is a recipe for disaster. And she's looking at me like, shouldn't that be farther away from the house? I said, no, we're fine. And so I take that tree, I roll it out, it's been in our house because Wendy would celebrate Christmas, you know, beginning in uh, October if she could. So we get the Christmas trees, right, when they roll down the mountain. And so we've, this tree's been in my house, it's dry, and I put it out there below the carport and I light that thing. And when I do, that bad boy goes up fast and furious and tall, like guttering tall, okay? You following me? Guttering tall. And she says, honey, our house is going to burn down. And right then, a fireman comes flying in because he's seen the smoke ascending where it should not be. And he comes flying in up here, and here comes another one in. And they're like, is your house on fire? And Wendy says, almost. And I feel so not like a man right then, you know? Like, I just thought this was going to be such a manly thing to burn this tree. Now other men have to come and put it out. So doesn't make me feel manly, but the tree is just lit and it's going up. That's what Paul is saying, is that we have a choice. We can build uh, on the foundation with gold and with silver, with precious stones, or we can build on the foundation with wood, hay, and stubble, I think the King James says, uh, straw. Uh, That's our choice. One is costly, one is cheap, one is hard to come by, one is easy to come by. One will last and one will not. And the judgment day will determine which we've done. That's what the judgment's going to be about. Now, where does this fly in the face of what we think the judgment's going to be about? Most of us probably think, and for years I did because I grew up this way, thinking that the judgment was going to be when, uh, when I die 
uh, and Jesus raptures the church, I think the judgment of believers will take place then. But uh, when I die, or after the tribulation, when that happens, most of us have thought this, that we're going to stand in a big, long line. And when we do, uh, it'll be our turn, and everybody who's ever lived is going to be standing there watching And God's going to open the book of life, and he's going to go through the list of everything that we've ever done. And he's going to say that in front of all those people. When he does, we're going to bow our heads in shame, but then we're going to be glad that we made it in in spite of all of that. And there's nothing in this text that indicates that. Let me tell you the problem with that. There was a judgment for sin. And it happened on the cross. Don't miss this. So that every sin you committed past, that you committed already today, and that you will ever commit was judged in the body of Christ on the cross. Period. Period. When you stand before God, Scripture says we're able to have confidence and not shrink back from him at his appearing. I'm shrinking back if the video is going to run for, for the world to see. But if I stand up there before the throne of God and Jesus Christ, who is seated at his right hand, says to the Father, I bought him with my blood. Beth, she's mine. Chuck, he's mine. Emily, I bought her too. That's all that has to be said. That's it. Hebrews says he's doing that even now. I have no idea why he would stop for a period of time, only to resume that later. Do you realize whose you are? Do you realize that on the cross, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That most likely the reason for that cry was the verse that says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Any broken record that plays through your mind is yours, not God's. It's yours. Any sin that you have committed for which you have sought forgiveness in repentance. But yet, just this morning while you were singing, it flashed through your mind. That is your doing. We do most of the talking to ourselves. That is your doing, not God's. And the judgment is going to be one big playback of all of your life. So the question is, what will it be? 
The purpose of the fire in this context is not to punish, but to reward the good works that you do. You see, the word in the Greek for judgment seat is bema, B-E-M-A, bema. And the bema seat in that day was not a tribunal council. It was the same word used to describe the podium in the Olympics. That's the same word. And outside of Corinth, that's where that was held. And what happens on the podium in the Olympics? Medals are awarded. There is never a mention made of everybody who lost on the podium, is there? It is only a recognition of those who won. So here, to the best of my ability is how I understand it. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the foundation has been laid, which is Christ. We've had a lifetime to build on that. You will be rewarded for how you've built. What is the reward? Two possibilities. I mean, there are multiple, but two from Scripture. One is just praise from God. And let me take just out in front of that. Praise from God. Do we need any more than for the creator of the universe to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Do you need anything else in this life? If you could get to where you wanted nothing else but that in this life, wouldn't that be a good place to live? That all you live for, that what you desire, that what you want more than anything is at the end of your life for God to look at your life, to look at how you've built and say, well done. Here's your reward. Now, Scripture says in another place, uh, there are four or five crowns mentioned. Crown of life, I'm not going to get into those today. Those could possibly be rewards. But then, if you read the book of Revelation, what do they do with the crowns? They throw them down at Jesus' feet. The judgment seed of Christ for believers is a day of great reward. I ask you today, how and what are you building What bricks did you put in the building this week? Whom did you serve? Whom did you talk to about Christ? Did you walk into your business that you own? Did you walk into the classroom that you teach and have God's heart, God just move your heart? Did you look at the clients that you meet, the patients that you see, and did God somehow stir your heart for them and you thought of this great building called the church? And how did you respond? The judgment will be reward for how? You built. God will reward worthwhile works. Later on in verse 
verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 5 of this same book. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. They're judging Paul. And Paul's saying, all right, hold off on your judgment before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and to disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So here's the reality. It is entirely possible to be crazy busy but not building good stuff. That's the possibility. You can be busy about a lot of things, but they aren't good things and they aren't God things. They're just you things. And you're excited about them, but they aren't part of the foundation. They're not worthy to be built on the foundation. So are you building on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Does your life exude Christ? Students, as you sit here, you know I love to see you up front, and I'm honored by that. Are you as students building on a foundation of Jesus Christ? Or is it your own popularity? Is it your own good works? Is it your own reputation on which you build? Is it so people can know how cool you are? So people can think, wow, he has it all together. Or look at her. She dresses this or she's this. Or do people look at you? Do they talk to you? Do they listen to you and see Jesus Christ? Bosses, are you doing that? Doctors, nurses, teachers, are you doing that? Whose foundation are you building on? How are you building on it? God will reward worthwhile works. And some of you, let me be honest, are sitting here, and this is so convicting, as it should be. Number three, God will destroy our worthless works, the same fire that reveals the purity and the preciousness of the gold and silver and the precious stones reveals the waste of the other. Verse 15 says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I love what one commentator says, even failures will be included in salvation, but they will enter salvation, quote, smelling of smoke, their labor having gone up in flames. I'd rather not go in smelling of smoke, amen? It's a picture of someone being in a house. The house is set on fire, and but the house is set on fire, and it's if it's built, which, by the way, was the number one indicator. If the, you had a building inspector in Paul's day, they would look for, can this house uh, withstand fire? And so, so the way to do that, you know, the way to know it is if the place caught on fire and it didn't burn down, it was built in order to be able to withstand fire. Let's keep in mind, irrigation systems were rare. The ability to extinguish the fire difficult. So God will reward good works, but it's a picture of somebody being in their own house and the house catches fire. And it's burning to the ground around them and they're rescued through that fire. So to be saved as through the fire, they're rescued through the fire out of that house. I just don't want to be rescued through the fire. I want to build gold and silver and precious stones. So, Jerry, what does that look like? You're, I can't tell you. That, that's going to have to be between you and God and what he's called you to do. I can't tell you that. 
I mean, we sure would be glad to help you. And wow, what God would do in this county if we all thought this way. And if we walked out of here realizing this, and if we look forward to the judgment, not in dread, but in anticipation, because God's going to reward us. I love this old song, Jesus Paid It All. It was written in the 1800s, and then in 1886, some missionaries were holding open-air services in the Young girl happened to go by. She had been fired by her boss that time, Ira Sankey, who tells this story, calls her boss her mistress, meaning that she was a maid in the house. She had, they had had a falling out. She had been fired. She was essentially homeless. And she walked, was walking by uh, and her overheard in 1886 these words, words that some of you need to hear Fresh and again this morning. They go like this. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, she heard coming out. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. She hung out when she heard that in the darkness of that open-air meeting and listen to the words. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. We don't often sing these other verses, but they're worthy of our time. And now completing him, My robe, his righteousness, close sheltered neath his side. I am divinely blessed. Jesus paid it. What church? What church? Do we believe that he paid it? What? All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it uh, white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone because Jesus paid it all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. And as she stood outside in the dark, she heard these words, when from my dying bed my ransomed soul shall rise, Jesus died my soul to save, shall rend the vaulted skies. Why? Because Jesus paid it what? All. All to him I owe, sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And the hymn doesn't stop there. And when before the throne I stand in him, finally complete. The old version says, I'll lay my trophies down, all down at Jesus' feet. Why? Because he paid it what? All. She heard that. The pastor spoke, the missionary spoke, and he had to be at another place. And he went briskly walking his way out. And when the Holy Spirit gets hold of somebody, it doesn't matter where you are, who, who it is, or what's going on, you're going to do business with God. And she chased him down the street. And she said, Sir, I overheard the words to a song as you were singing it, that Jesus paid it all. Do you think? He paid for my sins. 
That missionary turned around, took this young woman back to that tent, found some women who met with her. And she prayed and gave her life to Christ. They connected her with the minister. She moved in with the minister. She was homeless. They connected her with the minister. Just a few months later, she became ill. Ill to the point of death. That missionary was making rounds in the hospital. He saw that woman again. Remembered her. She shared how Christ had saved her just months earlier. Now she lay literally on her dying bed. He sat at her bedside and once again sang, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Two hours later, she slipped into the arms of Jesus who paid it all. He is our judge who took our sentence for all our sins so that when we stand before the throne we will not be temporarily stripped away of the righteousness of God we'll be complete would you bow your heads Jesus we've tried to pay some debts that you paid this week This week, we've tried to pay bills that we do not still owe. We've opened up the file cabinet of our past. And we've pulled out accounts that you canceled. And we've looked forward to the judgment, thinking for some reason, at that time, you'll pull up those accounts one more time. As people of the cross, we remember your cry of being forsaken by your Father as he could not look on our sin. And now all together, as people of the cross, Jesus, we're going to sing to you about how you paid it all. And Jesus, we may sing this song like we've never sung it before. Some of us are going to sing it because we just now got it for the first time. Others have been reminded. And Jesus, there may be some people here who've yet to receive your death on the cross. A salvation for their sins. So Jesus, your center stage now, as you were on the cross in infamy, you are now in glory. And we want to sing to you that you paid it all. Oh, sin had left what a crimson stain. and We still deal with the consequences at times and the after effect. But you've judged, you've been judged for us. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Won't be glorious. Thank you. May we live like children of a dad who gave his only boy that we could be heirs adopted into the family.
If you've not been adopted, if you've not given your life to Christ, oh, do that today. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's worship our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid it all, all. If you need to come, I'll be here. Sing out. Let's worship him.